0: Love, talk, radio.
1: Hey, good afternoon. this is Erin Chamberlick from getbetterwellness.com and I have a great show for you today and we want to jump right into it. We've caught our guest on the fly from Europe to here and there. so this is going to be a great show because this show is about wine and we're going to share some of wines. Dirty Secrets, which will shock you if you've not uh, tuned into Todd before, you may not know this. But don't worry, there's a happy and delicious ending. Um, I enjoy wine. I used to live in Sonoma County um, and that kind of started this love of wine. I went from being a beer person from Wisconsin to a wine person from Sonoma County. So. But then my eyes were opened to the problem with the modern wine industry after listening to a podcast with Todd White. um, Todd is an entrepreneur and the founder of Dry Farm Wines, the only health-focused organic wine club in the world. So welcome, Todd. Todd, do I have you? can't hear Todd, so let's see, Hmm. I don't know how to get you in here, says you're on hold, (laughs) why are you on hold, maybe if you call, hang up and call back in there and we're having a little technical glitch here. Well, we have um, so much information, so I'm going to start talking about it because I don't want to shortchange you, but in the last 50 years, the quality of wine has decreased and the alcohol content has increased, and the sugar content has increased as well, and there's lots of additives. So let me see if we can get Todd on.
0: Okay, can you hear me, Todd? All right.
1: Well, I'm not sure what you heard, but I did introduce you, and then uh, we couldn't connect. So I'm glad you're on, and um, we would love for you to maybe tell us, you know, some of the bad news first, and we'll get to the good news. And um, I know you have a lot of information, because I have heard you speak before a couple of times. So would you like to maybe start with what's been changing over the last 50 years, say?
0: Yeah, it's 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 a really interesting story. Uh, it's going to surprise a lot of people. It's not um, it's it's not very different from what has happened in our food supply, which has been mass consolidation, corporate consolidation, driven by greed and money, uh, a, a vast increase in industrial farming and industrial winemaking practices. So it'll surprise the audience to probably know that 52 percent of all the wines manufactured in the United States are made by just three giant conglomerates. Now they hide behind thousands of labels. (laughs) Yeah, it's over half. 70% of all the wine manufactured in the United States is made by just the top 30 companies. So, but the top three make over half. And the reason that's a problem and why that's a surprise, why it's a surprise is because these multi-billion dollar conglomerates are very smart and they hide behind thousands of brands and labels to, to have consumers believe that they're drinking from a farmhouse or a chateau, in fact they're drinking from massive factories in Central California, which is where most of them are based and where their manufacturing facilities are. So they want to sell a story of romance and you know kind of winemaking when in fact you're you're drinking additive-filled, massive factory-manufactured products. And so they've been very clever to keep that secret. The other deep, dark secret inside the wine industry, and the the government has helped protect this secret, and I'll tell you how in a moment, is that there are 76 additives approved for the use in winemaking in the United States. Uh, There are 56 in the EU, so this has become a global problem. So just because you're drinking European wines doesn't mean that you're necessarily drinking healthier. However, in the United States, the use of these chemicals and additives are fairly grotesque and widely used throughout the industry. The reason you don't know that, the reason your audience doesn't know that these additives exist is because the wine industry has spent tens of millions of dollars in legal and lobby money to keep contents labeling off of wine. Now, why they've done that is because they don't want you to really know what's in the bottle. If wine had a contents label on it, And I might add, wine is the only major food product without a contents label. The the if it had a contents label on it, it would look identical to the other processed foods that contain that contain contents label. There'd be a whole list of additives and chemicals you couldn't pronounce. Don't know what they are, color agents to stabilizers to antibacterial agents, anti foaming agents, all, all sorts of. Uh, of, of additives and chemicals that are used in the winemaking process. And here's the reason that they're used. Greed. It's very simple. You cannot make wine in very high quantities without the use of these chemicals. The, the, the environment, bacterially, is just too unstable for the winemaker. And so that's the reason that, that, that's the reason that they're used. It's also cheaper and easier uh, with the use of these chemicals and additives to make wine. It also produces what we would consider to sort of be the mcdonald effect of of wine, so you know this extreme consistency and shelf stabilization that that these manufactured products have. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it's really disturbing, isn't it And. Um, you know you talked about 76 additives and they are grotesque as you said that if we knew if they were on the label we could make an informed choice but uh, let me ask you about a couple of them like why does red wine make our lips and teeth and tongue turn purple is that an additive or is that red wine
0: It is not red wine. It is not a naturally made red wine. There are two reasons for that, why that happens. The most common reason is the use of an additive known as mega purple uh, that's very commonly used in the United States. It's manufactured by the Gallo Company, which is one of the top three wine companies in the world. It's sold universally across the industry. But mega purple is a color agent that's uh, made from a highly concentrated uh, form of grape juice. And this leads to discolorization of your teeth, your mouth, and, and, uh, and, and sometimes your tongue, but particularly your teeth, which is very disturbing if you're, you know, if you're out uh, having a nice social hour. The other reason that you can see red wine staining uh, your teeth or, or lips, uh, there's another reason even if Mega Purple is not used, is that the winemaking style of commercial wines? So and when I say style, that means the process, the style of wine they want to create, Americans believe that the darker a red wine is, the higher its quality. There, of course, there is no truth to that statement, but that's just a consumer perception. How red wine gets its color is maceration or skin contact, so, all grape juice is clear, and so when a red wine grape is squeezed, when the juice is squeezed from the, from the skin, which is the initial process of making wine, red wine, that juice is clear. How red wine gets its color is the, con- is the skins are added back into the tank, to and, and, and the red wine gets its color from the skin. That process is called maceration, and so... What's happening as a matter of winemaking styles to get wines darker, if they're not using additive color agents, is that maceration periods are very extended in commercial winemaking, and what happens is that creates a darker, denser color. That can also cause staining. That is not how natural wines are made. That's not how wines were made 50 years ago. These are all marketing techniques driven, again, by money and greed not by your health or the quality of the wine uh they're, they're they're driven to sell to sell wine and so that that's that's how you get tea staining
1: hmm. okay yeah there's even products <laughs> on the market you know for your red wine teeth which is which is funny to me but you know when i lived in um sonoma and was in napa and i've traveled there you know a couple times since then but You know, the vineyards do quite well, and just going to some of the tours, they talk about how there's the microclimates and different things happen, even within, you know, a real concentrated area in Napa, let's say. But you said earlier that it's happening to – that grapes are being grown in central California. So that's not conducive to grapevines. So talk about that. Well,
0: I, you know, here's the thing. So Napa – um, which is you know a beautiful place. I live in Napa Valley, right in the center of the valley, uh, because of its natural beauty and lifestyle and the restaurants and what is the Napa the Napa lifestyle. I live here. I personally I don't drink the wines. I have drank them for many years, of course, before I discovered the the the, um, the health appeal and the taste appeal to me. The taste is subjective, but the taste appeal of a naturally made wine. There are no naturally made wines under the category of what we consider naturally made. There are no naturally made wines in the United States that meet our criteria. That being said, uh, less than four percent of Napa County is actually planted in grapevines, right? And s- similarly so in Sonoma. But it is it is what it is what both Uh, counties are best known for and that's been you know very adept and sophisticated marketing but the total supply of what is grown in Napa Valley and Sonoma probably makes up I I wouldn't couldn't imagine it makes up more than one or two percent of the wine supply in the United States I mean it's just a super super small production right and the wines are also particularly in Napa quite expensive as you know I mean there's it's very difficult to find a uh, and, and Napa Valley wine, particularly a red wine or a Cabernet for you know less than fifty or sixty dollars a bottle so and they range up to thousands of dollars per bottle at the time of release and so these but they 've been very effective at marketing, so there's not the, no, Napa and Sonoma collectively just don 't represent much of um, much of a look at the United States wine production. Most of the United States wine production is grown in Central California. Every state in the nation, every state produces some type of wine. So wine is produced all over the United States. But, of course, the biggest producing state by a significant margin is uh, is California.
1: I guess it's primarily the land is cheap, right? <laughs> because it's not well, the, yeah, the desirable
0: means- environment. The problem, I mean, here's here's the, the situation. I mean, Napa Napa vineyard land now. When I moved to Napa Valley twenty years ago, uh, land prices the top land prices were about three hundred and thirty thousand dollars an acre. That is now a million dollars an acre, and so it's just impossible to pay a million dollars an acre for vineyard land, and uh, and mm-hmm. and uh, and make money from it. You know, so it's just not it's just not a uh, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a very You know, Napa's marketing and Napa's position in the world is very exalted, and the prices reflect that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, Central California, the land prices there are very cheap. So that's why you you see significant production there.
1: When you're growing, um, you know, grapes out in the desert, you have to irrigate. So can you tell us about irrigation and what that does to the wine?
0: Well, Irrigation, as you know, the name of our company is Dry Farm Wines, and that is the foundation of how we think about wine. Uh, We think about wine as an extension of nature's logic, as an all-natural product. Well, irrigation, and none of our grapevines uh, are irrigated, hence the name of our company, Dry Farm Wines, because we believe that irrigation is the man's first intervention into the grape farming process. So to to water, grapevines have been living for some 10,000 years that we're aware of, cultivated for some 10,000 years, without irrigation. Irrigation didn't come to the United States in grape farming until the 1970s. Today, virtually 100% of, um, of U.S. vineyards are irrigated. Now, the reason you irrigate is back to a common theme. It's called money and greed, and in some cases, ease of, ease of work and farming. But when you irrigate a grapevine, the, the, the main problem with it, I can give you a whole list of problems, the main problem with it is that it requires that the, that the fruit become riper before picking, or it's hot and, and, and consequently higher in sugar in order to develop proper flavor, and the reason that's true is because when you fill a grape berry with water, you dilute the flavor of the fruit. Uh, That common sense will tell you when you put more water in it, the juice from it is going to be more diluted. But what you do get is fruit that weighs more. It's filled with water. Fruit is sold by the ton. So if it yields more for more water and it weighs more for more water, the grower makes more money, right? So this is really, again, this is tied back to greed and money and and industrial farming practices. So in Europe, where all of our wines are all but a handful, we have a couple of producers in Chile and and four producers in South Africa, but the rest of our wines are all grown and vented in Europe, And so in Europe, in most places, it's illegal. It is against the law a crime to irrigate a grapevine because Europeans who've been making wine for over 3,000 years know what I know about irrigation. The moment you irrigate a grapevine, you fundamentally change the character and quality of the fruit. And the quality and character of the fruit is going to be more than 90% of the outcome in the wine-making process Assuming you're using a natural process, you're only relying on the quality of the juice and the fruit. Where you've got these additives and adjustments and fillers and agents, that's not true. But if you're making if you're making a pure, clean, natural wine, most uh, most everything determined by the quality and the taste of the wine has to do with the quality and taste of the fruit. And so that's the reason that that Europeans um, don't allow it in their vineyards. But with an irrigated grapevine, it's getting all of its nutrient and water from the surface, a little tube, a little drip tube just above the trunk. And so all of this is kind of common sense. When, you, when the, grape, the, the root ball of an irrigated grapevine is about three or four feet in diameter and deep However, a mature, unirrigated grapevine will have a root structure that can reach 50 feet deep into the soil because the the plant is struggling to find moisture and nutrients. And the other interesting thing that also contributes to the character of the fruit is that it is struggling with its neighbor as well, its neighboring vines, right? And this... Sometimes this, in, in, in Europe they have specific, specific laws on what distance a vine can be planted to its neighbor vine because they want to encourage this struggle and fight for nutrient and moisture. And this fight with its neighbor produces a more dense character and a higher quality fruit. An unirrigated grapevine is just lazy. I mean, an irrigated grapevine is just kind of just, just kind of a lazy animal, right? And mm-hmm. so it doesn't have to work. And that work, we know, resistance builds power, right? And that's that's true throughout nature. Just like when you lift weights, that resistance creates creates growth. And so the same thing happens in nature. So that, that's we don't sell any irrigated wines. We don't drink them. Um, and again, what happens is, and this is both. Let me take it just one step further on the higher sugar, and then we'll talk about sugar next. But the higher sugar at the time of picking, I mean substantially higher in order to to, um, uh, 30 or 40 percent higher sugar in order to develop proper flavor in an irrigated fruit. Now, the reason that's important is because when the wine is fermented – Uh, How you make wine is you squeeze the juice from the grape, which is filled with sugar, and then you inoculate that that sugar-filled juice with yeast, and the yeast eats the sugar, and the result of that is ethyl alcohol and carbon dioxide. Now, once all the yeast eats all the sugar, and we're going to talk about this in a moment, when the yeast eats all the sugar, the yeast will die. And the wine is fully fermented, right? Well, the more sugar there is in the, in the fruit juice, guess what? The higher the alcohol goes. That's the reason you see commercial wines now tipping up at 16, 16 and a half, 17% alcohol. We don't sell or drink anything over 12 and a half percent. Almost all commercial wines are 14 or 14 and a half or higher. Take a very strict view of alcohol. Most of the wines I drink are 11
1: or 11.5%. And the reason
0: being is that alcohol is toxic and dangerous. And so we take a very strict view on drinking lower alcohol wines, and we only sell lower alcohol wines. We do independent lab testing to ensure that these wines meet our our low alcohol requirements. And this is another interesting fact between the U.S. government and the wine industry, the alcohol stated on the bottle, on the label, is by law not required to be accurate. And so oftentimes it is higher than what is stated. And they, they round it down and mark it down because they don't – alcohol is addictive. Let's be perfectly clear. The wine industry, as a matter of winemaking styles, so it makes wines bolder. It makes wines denser. It makes wines warmer. Uh, it also makes wines more addictive. It also makes wines more dangerous, but this addictive issue fuels the wine industry's interest, right? We 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 just we have a real a real strict view on alcohol, and that surprises many listeners. They're like, "Well, I thought this is the wine guy. I am, but I'm about healthy drinking, right?" And so I promote a healthy approach to wine, a healthy approach to drinking. Alcohol is very dangerous. Let me get to the sugar for just a moment, because I know we're coming up coming up here on. Uh, on time sure the most common question the most common question i get is how can wines be sugar free i mean isn't there sugar in grapes and if we reference what i just said about how wine is made yes there is sugar in grape juice and in a naturally fully fermented wine like what we sell then those wines are sugar free but here's what's happening in the commercial wine business. Remember, we inoculate the sugar with yeast. The yeast eats the sugar. When the, when the sugar is all eaten by the yeast, the yeast will die. Well, here's what's happening in commercial wines. The winemaker, and this is a winemaking style, the winemaker uses sulfur dioxide to kill the yeast prior to it completing its fermentation, leaving residual sugar behind. So sugar is never added to wine. What's happening is that the winemaker uses sulfur dioxide, an additive, to kill the yeast prior to the yeast completing its eating of all the sugar or completing its fermentation, leaving residual sugar behind. That's how sugar gets in wine. And sugars can range in wine from zero, in the case of our wines, up to 300 grams per liter Um And to give your audience a reference point, Coca-Cola has 108 grams per liter. So now when we see these very high sugar wines, we're talking about dessert wines and ice wines, but it's not uncommon to see commercial wines, you know, in the 25 to 50 grams are about half that of what a Coke is, right? And you can't always taste it. So it might not taste sweet. If the underlying acid in the wine is high enough, it doesn't translate as sweet. In fact, We taste about 50 to 100 wines a week, and about we miss sugar on the taste, and we're professionals. I mean, it's all we do. We're taste professionals. We miss sugar on the taste in probably um, 30% of wines that come back sugar positive from our lab just because we can't taste it. It's just not because the acid hides. It's like when you make lemonade and you put sugar in it, it's going to be sour for a long time until you put a lot of sugar in it, right? And so it's the same kind of thing with wine because you've got this acidity in it.
1: Yeah, that's surprising that it's that much sugar, even in the non-dessert wine category, that it's half, you know, like 50 grams of sugar in a liter. That's ridiculous. 50, I would 20, have never guess
0: that. To, yeah, 25 to 50. Here's the thing, all of what, Here's the thing for your audience, I mean, they, if this is not marketing speak from our perspective. I mean, we're, this is, we live a natural lifestyle. I mean, we, I make my own toothpaste, right? <laughs> I thought about that because my dentist asked me <laughs> yesterday what toothpaste I used. And, um, I mean, we live an extremely natural life, right? We drink natural wines. All of what I'm telling you, all of what I'm telling your audience and educating your audience about is available online. I mean, you can search anything that I've told you, additives in wine, sugar in wine, uh, top wine making companies. All of this is online, just as easy as one Google search away. I've just aggregated mm-hmm. it all into an educational format because, I mean, we got started in this because we, my staff, I've been ketogenic for four years. Uh, before that, I was paleo or low-carb for many years before that. My entire – 15 people on my staff. We're all ketogenic. We're all fanatical health hackers. You know, We're all biohackers and all living this kind of ancestral natural life. But we love wine, right? And so a few years ago, I got where I couldn't drink commercial wines anymore. They're making me sick, and I lived in the center of the wine country, and I've been a lifelong, lifelong wine enthusiast. And so I wanted simply a better way to drink. And then I didn't have any idea, even though I had been living in the wine country and drinking wine my entire life and doing wine tours and traveling around the world. I still, I had no idea what was going on. No one does. And I right. except now I've been in front of millions of people on podcasts, but, but, you know, but mm-hmm. it, it's just this well-kept secret. And um, I had no idea. And the further I unraveled it and the the, you know the more the more daunting it became and the more dangerous sounding it became and the more the less healthy it you know so then i quite by accident discovered the natural wine revolution which is happening primarily in europe mm-hmm. there are only about 500 farmers in the world now there are a couple of 100,000 winemakers and labels around the world uh, and there are less than 500 farmers who make wines that are considered natural, and this also confuses people because, well, aren't all wines natural? It's like, well, mm-hmm. no, they're not for the reasons that I just explained. Natural wines, which you can read all about on our website, or you can search online natural wines, and there will mm-hmm. be teams of articles there in New York Times and all kinds of articles on what a natural wine is and and why it has become we just happen to be the largest buyer and seller of natural wines in the world, but but there it is a it is an explosive revolution because people because you feel better. There's no hangover. Right. Uh, they taste better. They're friendlier with food. Uh, they're more soulful. Uh, they are naturally made, organically farmed, and they just taste they just taste cleaner, better. And 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 they're better for the planet, you know. And so people, so there's an explosive interest in it, particularly among people who are interested in their health.
1: Yeah, I was surprised. I do a lot of writing about big food, big pharma, big ag, and I did not know about that until I heard you on the Paleo Valley podcast. And so I that prompted me to write my own blog post so people can read. A uh, little bit more of things that we didn't talk about, like the specific additives, um, but all of this that we talked about is on my website, getbetterwellness.com. So we do um, have some good news of how people can get um, hooked up with you know, their own supply of this good wine, which is something that I do. And I just let Todd curate my wines for me because he travels um, to Europe and South Africa and Chile and gets the wines that are, you know, affordable, but they're good and meet all the criteria. So if you want to get a bottle for a penny, then the link, uh, the URL is dryfarmwines.com forward slash gbw for Get Better Wellness. So, Todd, um, I love the the wine club. It's been it's been a lot of fun and gotten me outside of the you know the the bat. I got a, got away from the additive wines that I was drinking from California.
0: Yeah, it's it's uh it's really interesting. I, I think your audience will will really enjoy. I mean, it's just been amazing what you know the feedback we get from all over the nation. Uh, just thousands and thousands and thousands of people that we serve weekly um with our wine club it's uh, it's just been an, an extraordinary thing if uh if your audience wants to find us we are dry farm wines on all social media uh also I'm Todd TODD at dryfarmwines.com if I can be of service and uh yeah, just go to dryfarmwines with an S dot com forward slash G B W and uh get a get a penny bottle of wine. I really appreciate you having me on today, Aaron. It's been thank you an amazing amount of fun. And uh I'll look forward to catching up with in. you again.
1: <laughs> thank you. I appreciate all that you do. Have a good day.
0: All right, thanks. Bye.
1: Oh, bye bye.